And then I found out this morning that uh, Kevin was feeling symptoms uh, this morning, though he had tested negative uh, earlier or at the end of the week. And uh, so you'll be stuck with me three weeks in a row, but I will do my best after that to give you a reprieve so you don't have to listen to me for a while. Um, with, with, with that being said, uh, you know, I do want to take a moment just to pray for for Kevin and his family, and just, you know, we have a lot of doctors and people, nurses, people in the medical field here, pray over them, and just all the work that's going on here. You know, our hospitals have officially moved to surge capacity, meaning that they have gotten rid of all, like, elective surgeries, um, just with uh, beds being full uh, with, uh, with COVID patients. So I just want to take a moment to pray over Kevin, pray over our church, pray over those who work in that field, and over those in our community, Okay. God, um, today is um, a day that you have made and that you have created, and nothing is a surprise to you in any way, shape, or form. And Father, we pray for Kevin and for Jackie and Josiah and for Gideon. God, we ask that you would just watch over them, that you would protect them, and that you would bring healing quickly uh, to their bodies during this time, restoring them to health. Father, we pray for uh, the medical workers in our community, but especially and specifically those who are a part of Aletheia Church, who are giving um, their lives uh, to serve others um, in this medical endeavor that is going on. We ask that you would give them a special measure of grace to be salt and light uh, everywhere that they go and every word that they say and, and everything that they do. Um, while this virus continues to linger with us. And Father, we pray for our community. We pray for those who are sick, those who are not well um, from COVID or anything else. And we pray that your spirit would, would watch over them. We pray that your spirit would protect, protect them. And we pray that for those who do not know you, that you would use these circumstances to, to draw them to yourself and to reveal them the great and mighty name of Jesus. Father, you are the Almighty, and we ask these things as your children. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. When we opened the book of Ruth a few weeks ago, we saw that Naomi and Ruth had two great pressing needs in their life, food and family. And last week, we saw God's provision of food. If you remember from the beginning of the story, uh, Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, had moved with their two sons to the land of Moab when there was a famine in the land of Israel. After having been there a while, Elimelech dies, and Naomi's two sons, who had gotten married to two Moabite women, they had died as well. So we have Naomi with Orpah and Ruth. Orpah decides to stay behind in Moab. Ruth decides to follow Naomi, declaring to her, I will go with you wherever you go, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So they return from this land of desolation and destruction, and they return to the house of bread, which is the meaning of the word Bethlehem. And we saw last week how God had provided food for them. Ruth goes out into the field to work. She gets noticed by Boaz. Boaz instructs his people, his workers, to look after her, to take care of her, to protect her, to let her have some extra grain. And then he takes what is this amazing step by inviting her all the way inside, not just inside the house, but all the way to the dinner table, a place that has great significance in the life of the nation of Israel and these Near Eastern people. 
And he invites her in to fill her belly with grain. And not only does he do that, he sends her home with a big, large amount of grain that someone calculated as 672 slices of whole grain bread, okay? So this was probably more food than she had seen in her entire life in one setting. So God, we see God through his hesed, as we talked about last week, this Hebrew word that takes grace and mercy and love and kindness, like all these good words that we love, this this covenant has said, and he pours it out on Ruth, who has now become one of the covenant children of Israel. And this week, we are going to see how God begins the process of providing a family for Naomi and Ruth. So look with me uh, at uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1 on the screen. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? The word we're going to key on here for the first half of today's message is this word rest. In the NIV, we see it uh, rendered this way. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And so the idea that Naomi is getting at in her concern for Ruth, which I think is is, is an outstanding turn of events, right? You had this woman who just recently called herself Mara. She said, God has been so bitter toward me. He has dealt with me so bitterly. I want you to change my name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to Mara, which means bitter, but yet with the redemptive action of Boaz providing food for them last week, she then began to praise God and to acknowledge God's goodness, saying, He has not forsaken the living and the dead. She is overwhelmed. Or here now, because of this act, her focus is no longer on her previous situation. It's no longer on food. It is now how can she take care of this young woman, this widow, to her son and to her son, and call her daughter and care for her and find provision for her. I mean, a dramatic turn in the life of Naomi. And so she has in mind finding food, shelter, protection from evil men. I mean, remember, we are in the time of Judges where the Bible says, every man does what is right in his own eyes. And so I want to spend some time this morning um, Uh, expounding upon this thought in a a modern context. I want to expound upon it, not just from the female perspective of protection and provision, but also from the male perspective as well. That when it comes to marriage and family, God intends for marriage and family to be a place of rest for men as well as women. Now, if you have been with the Lathia Church for any, uh, any amount of time, especially if you've been around me and Kevin, you will regularly hear that God has three overarching expectations for all men. So this is your pop quiz this morning, fellas. Can you tell me what those three expectations are? Now, look at this. That's better. You know, now I don't know what that says about you answering for the guys, but, uh, you know, guys, your, your expectation, God expects for you to be pastor, protector, and provider. So if you want to know what God's goal for you, God's plan for you is, what God expects of you, 
you need to know these three things, that you would be a pastor of your home, a protector of your home, and a provider of your home. Now, this is the what that is expected of you, but it does not really tell you or explain to you what the underlying why is. The underlying why is this idea of rest. Because if you are a good pastor, a good protector, and a good provider in your home, you will provide rest to your wife through these actions. Now, the how will then play itself out in a myriad of different ways, right? In the way that you decide to pastor your home and whether your kids memorize Bible verses or read the Bible, whether you teach them catechism, whether you go teach them virtues or go straight through books of the Bible or systematic theology, whatever it is, that's going to look different in your context. When it comes to protecting your home, it's also going to look different. What your children watch, what they don't watch, the, the groups of people you allow them to interact with, the ones you keep them from, uh, you know, whether you, you keep a gun in your house at night, by the nightstand. I mean, all that is going to be different, um, how you protect your home, and then also how you provide for your home, how you provide financially, how you provide emotionally, how you provide spiritually and relationally for all the members of your house. And now the question a lot of ladies are probably asking at this point is, well, how do I find this man? Because one of the things we hear all the time throughout all the, the church circles that I've run in, whether I was a pastor in Washington for 12 years, whether I'm talking to some of my friends, is how do we find good men? You know, where have all the cowboys gone as it was expressed in a song uh, much from uh, my timeline? And I hope that connects with you, and apparently it did. But uh, yes, where have all the Christian men gone? Okay, so um, because you should be um, asking, you know, like, like how do I know if the, if the guy that I'm interested in, I'm dating or even engaged to, is going to be a good pastor, he's going to be a good protector, and he's going to be a good provider who will give me rest. Though I cannot give you any absolute guarantees, but here's the closest thing that I can give you Ladies, that you should look for, and it always begins with character. Guys, if you are going to take up this mantle and say, all right, I want to be a good pastor, protector, provider, let me show you just some foundational verses you should look at that will help you in this endeavor. And one is it's one you're all probably familiar with, Galatians 5, 22, verses 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So if you're just looking at this from, from the female perspective in a man, ladies, you need to ask yourself, do you see him loving others well? Not loving self, first and foremost, but loving others. This, this sacrificial love, do you see a pattern in his life where he is loving and serving other people on a regular basis? basis? Does he realize he is not the center of the universe? Do you see joy in his life? I mean, do you see that when life happens, right? When things hit the fan, do you see that he is able to find a reservoir of joy in his relationship with God, knowing that he has been redeemed by King Jesus, that allows him to step above, over, and beyond his present circumstances and still maintain joy in very difficult circumstances. Peace. Do you see that when the, the waves hit? You know, Jesus says, 
The waves will crash upon the person who builds their house on sand and the the person who builds their house on the rock. Do you see that there is still a peace and a calmness, this shalom in his life that allows him to go on? Patience. Can you see him being patient when he is not getting his way? Because let me just explain, once you get married and then have children, the one thing you will not get is your way. Everyone else in your life will get their way. And if he decides he has to have his way and doesn't show patience, there will not be rest in that home. Is he a kind man? Is he nice toward other people? Or is he always talking despairingly about people behind, disparagingly about people behind their back? Is he good? I mean, is he just a good man? So you got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. Is he actually gentle with you? Is he gentle with puppies, right? Is he gentle with babies, right? I mean, look, this is one of those things. If you see a guy who likes to interact with babies and hold babies, lady, that is a great clue to be going, all right, I should at least consider him. Fellas, if you want to pick up chicks, hold babies, okay? They are better than puppies, okay? They really are. Learn how to do this. This is great training for the future because right now you get a little practice and you get to hand them right back. When you get married and then you have children, you do not get to hand them back, okay? Because as soon as you get home, they will be handed to you, okay? So the other one of this is self-control. Does he exhibit self-control? The Bible says, A man without self-control is like a city broken down and without walls. The walls existed for protection of the city. If a man does not have have self-control in his life, when it comes to his sexual ethic, when it comes to his anger, when it comes to all these issues, he will be like a city broken down without walls, and everything in his life will eventually be destroyed. And so, ladies, you need to ask yourself these hard questions. Guys, you need to ask yourself, do you see this in your life? Where are you falling short? I mean, there is no perfection in this. However, you should see these things. At least There should at least be a seed, right? And you should see a seed grow. Now, it may not be fully grown to where it's yet producing 30, 60, or 100 times over, but can you at least see the seed in this person's life and it beginning to bear fruit um, in this fruit of the Spirit. Now, if we're going to make this a little more practical, ladies, this is where I would tell you to set the bar, okay? I would go to the elder qualification list of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. And I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 7. These are the qualifications for an elder as Paul delivers them to Timothy for the church in Ephesus. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. And if you were to go and you were to read uh, uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 6, 6 through 9, you would see almost the exact same list, but a few differences that really kind of give you 18 character traits. And this is what I would say, like this is the highest bar that can be set for a man because an elder is the highest office that one can have in the church. This is the character standard by which all men should strive for, whether they ever become elders or not. And lady, this is, ladies, I would tell you, this is where you want to set the bar extremely high because here is the reality of this. The more of these character traits that a man has, the more rest there will be in your marriage and in your home. And the less of these character traits there are, the less rest there will be in your family and in your home. But let me say, rest is not just for the women. More than once in Scripture do we see women who upset their household, depriving it of rest. Look at what Solomon says in Proverbs 21.9. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Many translations can become nagging wife, okay? Um, I can just tell you that, that there are very few things more annoying than um, being nagged at, okay? Whether, and, I, and this is not particular to women, right? This is anybody. Like, if you nag at me, um, I, I, it takes everything I have not to punch you, right? I mean, it's just one of those things that I find it, it is so grating, it is so annoying to be nagged at. And so this deprives a person of rest. It, it deprives a husband of rest. And what he's saying is, it's better to you to be outside, exposed to the element on the corner of your roof than to be in a home with a nagging wife, a quarrelsome wife. 21.19, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman, right? Like it is better to live in the desert, no water, no shelter, exposed to the elements, dying of thirst, than it is to be in a home with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. And Proverbs 27.15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. All right? And if you've ever had one of those repetitive noises in your life that just won't go away, that you just can't find it, that you just can't figure it out, and it just makes you insane, this is what Solomon is alluding to. So men can rob their homes of rest, and women can rob their homes of rest, but yet there are things that we should see in both of their lives that can bring rest to their home. And what is a very interesting note about the book that we are studying is that in the Hebrew Bible, in the order that the books are placed together, is that Proverbs comes right before the book of Ruth. Now, in our order, we have Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and the Proverbs come later in the wisdom section. In the Hebrew Bible, it is not arranged that way. You actually have Proverbs 31, having 10 through 31, where we have the Proverbs woman, and what immediately follows is who? Ruth. And I, I just want you to listen. I'm going to read these verses to you because, ladies, these are the expectations for you. Gentlemen, these are the things that you should have on your list of what a woman should be if you want rest in your home when you get married. 
So Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Ladies, this is the list to which you should aspire. Gentlemen, this is the standard to which you should set for the woman that you would marry. And if you, 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 you look at this woman, I mean, this is an incredible woman, right? I mean, she works hard for her family. She provides for others. She is strong that when she... She is prepared in such a way that when the future is coming, when she sees the future coming, she is not fearful. She laughs at the future to come because she is strong in work. She is strong in character. And guys, I will just tell you, verse 30 is more important than you could ever realize. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. For Men and women in this room today, godly character matters more than anything else. If you want to have a marriage that is a place of rest until God calls you home, you will set godly character as the highest standard for whom you decide to marry. And I know it may seem daunting and overwhelming, to put these kind of standards upon people. But I just want to say it is possible. And God delivers these people all the time. My wife is an amazing example of Proverbs 31. I mean, my, my, wife, my wife runs a multi-million dollar business. My wife helps me homeschool our children. My wife 
She used to sew all of their own clothing. She used to knit them and stay up at night. She stays up till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, every morning working, and she'll get up around 10. My wife is an amazing woman. Women like this exist, but it's not just my wife. And one of the things that I've been so impressed about having been here the last three years is what I see not just in the wives, but in, in all these young couples, right? That if you're sitting here today and you're like, is this really possible? Is there really hope? Are there really people like this that still exist? I mean, look to Josh and Ruth Green. I mean, they're an amazing example of, of godly character between you two young people. You look at Dan and Aaron Green and their example. You can look at Vinay and April. You can look at Brittany and David. These are amazing examples of, of young men and women who have incredible godly character, whom God has blessed with one another because they have had incredibly high standards for one another. Let me say this to you. Do not ever settle. I would rather be single a million times over than to be in a marriage where there is no rest. And some of you have experienced this. Some of you grew up in homes where there was no rest in your marriage. You know what it's like because godly character was not a part of your home. I have pastored for over 15 years now. I have seen dozens and dozens of marriages, especially in my time in Washington, of homes where there was no rest because neither the man nor the woman exhibited godly character as was prescribed in Scripture. I will never forget when Leah and I had first met in Africa. And I was um, in a, uh, God, I can't even think of the name of it, uh, uh, Internet Cafe, all right? Okay? We had these things back in the day, Internet Cafes, because not everybody could get, you had their own computer. And when I lived in Africa and lived in the city of 5 million people, there actually was a mall there, go in the Internet Cafe, and one day I get this email from her, and it was like page after page of expectations. And like she had gone through especially Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. And she said, if we're going to keep having these conversations, you just need to know these are all my expectations. Verse and details of all the expectations. Now, there are a lot of dudes who would have probably run away, right? And from some women, I would have run away. But this one I really liked. And I said, all right, fair enough. I'll at least give it my best shot, right? Like, it, it challenged me to step up, to, to, to rise to the occasion and say, yes, she is right. I'm willing to put in a more concerted effort in this endeavor about all the... And you can just go read the list in Ephesians 4 and 5 yourself. And I'm willing to do this. And it caused me to rise up because she set incredibly high expectations. So what I would say to you is, Find the reasonable expectations that God places upon men and upon women and do not settle for anything less. And if you do, you have an incredible opportunity, an incredible chance to find rest in your marriage. Now, that's the big kind of expository chunk of the, the life lesson today. So now we're going to begin to kind of move through the scriptures much faster, kind of explaining to you what's going on. So let's work our way through the story in verses 2 through 5. Is not Boaz our relative with whose uh, young women uh, you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. 
Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Let me say this first and foremost. Ladies, if anyone ever gives you this exact advice, run, okay? This is terrible advice, okay? But it is the advice, advice that we are left with. And this is a great example of what we would call a descriptive text in Scripture, not a prescriptive text, okay? It is describing what's going on. It is not telling you this is how you get a man, okay? That is not what is happening here in this passage. Now, um, and at first glance, if you're really reading this passage, um, it kind of seems like this salacious story filled with sexual overtones. And though I might grant you the notion of the sexual overtones, this, this story is anything but salacious. And, and let me explain why if you look at the first part of verse 3, where she says, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Okay? Now, I mean, this in general is just, it's good dating advice, right? It's like, hey, if you're going to go out on a date, if you're going to try to impress someone of the opposite sex, you should take a bath. You should put on, you know, you should put on something that makes you smell good and you should put on something decent to wear, right? I mean, this is universal dating advice that we can apply to all cultures and all times and all places with all people. Generally, this will improve your chances. But there's actually a little bit more going on in this passage than, than what we see at first glance. Because we have to remember that Ruth was a widow. And being a widow, for some amount of time, she would have worn widow's garments. That when someone had lost their spouse, they would have put on a certain attire to let people know that they were in a time of mourning. So it is very likely that Ruth had been wearing up until this time her widow's garments. And that's probably why you see, you know, Boaz make no effort early on or anyone else that she has been in this time of mourning. And so what Naomi is telling her to do is it's time to take off your widow's garments. It's time to get out of this time of mourning. It is time to take a bath, to put on perfume and put on your regular clothes. And we see this as a precedent elsewhere in Scripture in 2 Samuel 12, 20. If you're familiar with this story, this is the story where uh, David's son, uh, David's been in a time of mourning and fasting, asking that God would save his son from his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and eventually the child dies. Once that happens, it says and it records that he gets up, he washes himself, he anoints himself with oil, and then he puts on his simla, which is the exact same word here that we are given to Ruth. So there's a really strong connection that she is probably telling her to come out of your time of mourning, and now let it be known that you are ready and you are now available for the prospect of being remarried. So let's see what happens when Ruth actually takes this as wife to do these things and to go up to the threshing floor where Boaz is. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. 
spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Okay, here's one thing you can take from this, ladies. Sometimes men are really slow, okay? They are really slow to get it. And sometimes you just have to um, have one of those DTR, you know, define the relationship, let your intentions be known and say, hey, buddy, are you ever going to do anything about this? I mean, we're, you know, we're getting along here well. I mean, like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm interested, you're interested. Uh, What are you going to do about it, right? Now, you you can't blame Boaz if he was, was a little slow because the whole, you know, garment thing. So he, he, he's actually being honorable and all this stuff. But I mean, you know, when she says to him, I am Ruth, your servant, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. This is exactly what she is saying in modern parlance. I want you to marry me. I have chosen you. I am expecting you to actually go through with this and put a ring on it, okay? That is exactly what my expectations are of you. She makes her intentions clear. She says, you are a redeemer and I choose you to redeem me. Now you have to pay very attention, very close attention to the language here because there's a reference to something we saw last week in chapter 2, verse 12, where, where we saw the verse, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. The exact same parallel language is being used here by Ruth. So that when when Boaz was asleep and she uncovers his feet and then she asks him to cover her, she is asking him to cover her, to protect her, to redeem her in the exact same way that God rescues, redeems His children, providing refuge for them, pastoring them, protecting them, and providing for Him. She is asking Boaz to assume responsibility for her security. She challenges Boaz to be the answer to his own invocation of blessing in 2.12. Boaz spoke those words in chapter 2, verse 12. And she's like, all right, you prayed this blessing. You're in position to do something about this blessing. I want you to know that I expect you to cover me now and to spread your wings over me and become my pastor, protector, and provider. Ladies, sometimes men are just slow. Sometimes you might try to make your intentions known and God will not allow you to do so. All right? Leave that to the providential hand of God. I'll tell you a funny story about me and my wife. When I was still in Africa and she had come home from her assignment as a missionary, um, we had been talking and I am just naturally flirtatious, but I was pretty clueless to this whole thing and I didn't know where this was going, where God had actually already told Leah that we were going to be married. And so back in the day when you converse with one another from Houston, Texas, all the way to Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, you did so with this thing where you had to go buy a card that had phone minutes on it, okay? You couldn't just directly, you know, connect with someone through like FaceTime or over the internet. You had to buy a phone card, right? For like 20 bucks, you get like 100 minutes to talk to somebody overseas. 
And so Leah and I were having a conversation one night, and she was fed up with me. She was going to let her intentions be known to ask me, hey, buddy, what's your deal? Are you going to do something about this? Where's this whole thing going? And right as she is getting ready to say this and to ask the question, the line goes dead. So if you know anything about this process, it takes a good five or ten minutes to go back through the whole process, dial it up, connect the kid overseas. So we're talking for a few more minutes, and she says, she gets to the point, she's getting ready to ask the question, boom, phone goes dead one more time. And she will tell you in her own words, she just threw her hands up in the air and said, fine, Lord, I will let you deal with him in your own time, okay? And that was one of those things where she was going to make her intentions known, and God said, no, let me deal with him first. So either way, if you feel that you need to uh, make him step to the plate, let him know. If not, God will jump in the way and cut off your intentions. So if you've got any questions, if you feel stuck anywhere, you can uh, ask me or Leah, and hopefully we'll give you good advice about this. Um, in verse 9, he said, who are you? Now, I, I, just, I, I hope you can appreciate this story. This is one of those things where I, I think we just had to be there, right? To be a fly on the wall. Because you, you, you got to imagine, the dude had been eating and drinking. He was full of food and merry with wine. I mean, he is out. I mean, he is asleep. And all he knows is he went to bed laying next to his big pile of grain. Like, think like Scrooge McDuck and DuckTales, you know, like his pile of gold. Like, he's sitting there with this massive amount of wealth. And all he knows is some point he wakes up and there is a woman at his feet. Now, what you need to know about this in this context, like, so the threshing floor was like a far away from the field. So they would take all the grain up there. They would usually go up high up on the mountain somewhere where the wind would blow. And this is where they would break, you know, the wheat from the chaff, throw it up in the air with the winnowing fork, and it would then separate. So we get this imagery in scripture, right? So, but oftentimes prostitutes would go up into these situations thinking they could get some free grain and wine from the men. So he really has no idea what's going on here. So, you know, how do we take this, who are you, right? I mean, was this like a, who are you, right? Or was this like a, hey, who are you? You know, I mean, like, I mean, like, like, like in what way do we infer this thing? Or was it kind of this sleepiness of like, who, who are you? I, I mean, we just don't know in any way, shape, or form. Now, we do get the righteous nature and character of Boaz to really understand and believe, hey, he, he handles this in an amazing way, all right? Because here is this woman presenting himself to her. He could have easily taken advantage of the situation. But, but notice what he says. He says, um, uh, he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. Now, I want to point out something very important here as we've been talking about rest within the relationship of a man being a pastor, protector, and provider. 
is that in this situation, Boaz did not take advantage of the situation. Ladies, let, let me say this to you here and now on this godly character thing. Guys, let me say this to you as well. God has explicitly declared in Scripture that men are responsible for the sexual ethic in their relationships. One of the incredibly unfortunate things in our current day and time is that it is often left to the woman to say no. Like, this is the boundary. This is where the line is. This is where things stop. I just want to tell you that is a total inverse of how God has created this, right? Now, I'm going to give this to you as a principle very quickly, and if some of you would like to discuss it, because it's really a fascinating topic beyond the time that I have covered for it. And I don't have it up on the screen, but it's um, Exodus chapter 22, verse 16. And it basically says, if a young man takes the virginity of a young woman and um, then he must, one, either marry her or pay the bride price. Now, if you're wondering what this bride price is, as best scholars can figure, it's about three years' wages, okay? Now, I want you to think about this, how God designed this in His law, because it is very important for God's expectations of men in the sexual ethic of relationship. So you are a young man who has been working, and you are preparing for marriage one day, and a young woman comes along and has intentions for you. You have worked really hard. You have saved up three years worth of wages, right? Let's just call that an easy, you know, you're, you're a working guy. Let's just call that an even $100,000, say three years worth of pure wages. How might you consider whether you were going to sleep with her knowing that if you did one time and you didn't marry her, you have to hand her $100,000? Do you see how God puts this responsibility on young men? And so th th there's a lot of ways where we balk at that, mm, that's not fair, that's not right, or whatever. I actually have a friend, and he had a friend who had four daughters, and he actually set the bride price of $50,000 on all of his daughters. And in each and every case, four young men came, and before they could even date the girl, they had to put $50,000 into a bank account to show their seriousness that they would not injure or harm her any way. And now they're all happily married today. I'm not saying you should do that, but I just think it is a fascinating story because you know those dudes talk long and hard about it, right? I mean, they didn't go into this like, yeah, we'll go on a few dates, we'll see if this works. It's like, no, like, I'm going to have to go work. I'm going to have to go work in the field. I've got to let my intentions known. She knows what his intentions are. He knows he's putting it. He is not going to do anything to mess this up. Now, we can apply this on a much larger scale that we don't have time to talk about today. But ladies, let me say to you, if you are constantly having to put on the brakes, you are the brakes in your relationship when it comes to the sexual ethic, that is not someone you want to be with. That is not godly character. That is not being a good pastor, protector, or provider. You need to seriously consider getting out of that relationship. Men, if you are always pressing the agenda and she is always having to put on the brakes, then you need to repent of that sin because you are putting her in a place that she should not be. Now, there are much deeper issues about once you get married and your body belonging one to another, but I will tell you the patterns that are set before marriage only will continue inside of marriage 
and will get worse into a greater degree or better into a greater degree, whatever those patterns are. Okay, in the same way that we say money doesn't change people, money just magnifies, right? If you go from being poor to having $10 million, who you become is just a reflection of who you are. It just magnifies your personality. It doesn't change who you are. It just reveals who you are. In the same way, when you get married, um, these issues will only reveal themselves in much deeper and greater ways. They are not just going to change for the better. This, I just, I'll just say this because almost all the issues that I dealt with as a pastor in Washington were usually, you know, the, the lady coming into the office, uh, bemoaning her husband and situations that was going on. And it was always, well, I thought he would change or I thought I could change him. Ladies, that is a fool's errand. You cannot change a man. God can. But if you, if you don't see the fruit of change, do not think that he will change. And if don't think and do not think you can be the agent of change. Will never ever happen. Dudes don't do that for other people. They do it for God, but they don't do it for other people. Boaz is an honorable man who takes total responsibility for the sexual ethic and does not take advantage of the situation in any way, shape, or form. We actually see Boaz as the superior. Remember last week, he was the wealthy Israelite uh, man in this situation who owned the field. Ruth is the servant. She just describes herself as the servant. He, I mean, I think this is amazing, right? He is actually humbled enough to feel blessed by her desire to marry him. I, I think it's one of the most overlooked things in the passage is his response in humility that she would actually desire to marry him. And so basically, we see him show incredible honor in two ways. One, he is willing to redeem her himself, but he is also not willing to violate the protocol set in place for a redeemer by jumping over the one who actually has the first right of redemption in this story. And we'll, 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 we'll get to this guy and this situation next week, but there's enough faith in God's providence and in God's plan for them to let this work itself out rather than say, well, God told me to do it, and so now we're going to do it and violate these protocols. They, have, they are exhibiting an incredible amount of faith in Yahweh in bringing about this redemption uh, through Boaz toward Ruth. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so we see here, Boaz protects her by concealing her uh, in the early morning hours before the sun had arose. He did not shame her in any way. He keeps her protected and he sends her on her way. So he protects her. But what does he do? Once again, he also provides for her by sending her home with 
these measures of barley. And so she goes into the city, and again, gosh, I, I think it is just, it's just a fascinating how fast this turnaround has been for Naomi. Now, in, in actuality, from chapter 2 to chapter 3, we're, we're several weeks ahead in the story. But, I mean, this woman who was saying, call me bitter, who felt as if God had abandoned her, put this plan into motion for the sake of Ruth, for her protection and well-being, for the kindness that Ruth had showed to her, I imagine she had probably been up most of the night pacing, which had been very natural, wondering how this is all going to play out. But yet, when it comes to this time to wait, knowing that they, they're going to have to figure this out, this is now going to go before the entire town, before the entire city next week, where this whole ordeal is going to be discussed by the who's who of the city. Everybody's going to know what's going on. And Naomi is like, hey, Let's just give God time to work out this. I mean, what an amazing amount of faith that we see in Naomi. And remember last week, it began with one incredible act of kindness that Boaz showed toward Ruth when he brought her to the table and sent her home with the six ephahs of grain. Next week, we'll move into the big story of uh, how this redemption takes place. And we'll cover the first half of chapter 4 next week, and uh, hopefully Kevin will cover the last half of ch chapter 4 the following week, the last week of August, before we move into the book of 1 Corinthians. Okay? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite the band back up and let them play instrumentally. And I'll, I'll begin, I, I, I want to close with this, because I, I want to say, like, I know in the church there's always this thing like, you know, Everybody's got to get married. We're always looking to kind of match people up with one another. And singleness kind of takes this secondhand status. One little, let me just say, there's nothing wrong with being single, right? Paul actually said it's the preferred position from his standpoint because you can devote more of your time to the kingdom of God, right? We here at the church, we have people who actually feel a call to singleness in their life. And we're like, yay, go God. I mean, that, that's what God wants you to do for the rest of your life. Some of you desire to be married and some of you are like, uh, I don't know, right? And, and, and that's okay. There, there is no second-class status for those who aren't married. The, the point of today's message was not to say marriage is the end goal. You should all be striving toward marriage. If you want to be single and you're content being single, be single. That is awesome. But yet, if, uh, as Paul says, you burn with passion, set your standards high. Make godly character the, the thing. I will tell you, uh, godly character is sexy, all right? Like, I know you're never going to see this on Netflix or on TV shows. Never on The Bachelor are they going to have, hey, you know what's sexy here? That person's godly character. Woo! Blew me away, right? You're just not going to get it on The Bachelor. But the Bible says, and as followers of Jesus, we should, do, we should strive and look for godly character first and foremost. Trust me, having peace in your home will beat all other things, especially when the storms of life hit. But there's a bigger idea of rest here that we're going to kind of move in here for a couple of minutes. And, and it's really these verses in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So if someone, Spencer, if you'll go ahead and kill the lights, uh, the band's just going to start playing instrumentally, and we're just going to take the next 
five or so minutes, and I just want to kind of lead you through prayer like I did last week, considering this topic of rest. I want you to just kind of relax. You, you got time. Uh, if you want to go ahead and grab your elements for communion, go ahead and do so quickly, and then you can come back to your seat. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll conclude this section by taking communion corporately um, at our seats. Um, you grab me one. Um, uh, we'll, we'll, but I just want to take us through this time just to kind of let this lay upon us and just let the Holy Spirit do, do His work in us the next, the next few moments. So if you, know, you want to bow your head and close your eyes, however you want to do, just however you want to meditate, if you want to pray with somebody next to you, you can, you can do that as well. But let's just focus on rest. Think, 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 think about your week this last week. Think about the weeks that are coming up, right? New semester, new job new roommates, new place to live, whatever you're going through, new relationships, new friendships. Does your heart feel at rest? Do you feel peace in your heart and your soul? Just, just, just take a moment and just confess your anxiety and your fears and your worries about today and about the future for a moment. there's so much going on in our world things that cause fear like our news feeds and our social media channels we're worried about viruses we're worried about grades we're worried about money we're worried about relationships we're worried about the future God the, the scriptures tell us that Jesus is completely in control that he is right now as Hebrews 1 declares he is sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning over the cosmos, that all things are in his control, even though we can't see it that way. God, for those of us who are children of God, we, we have found rest. Rest is available to us if we will take it because we are under your wings, because you are our pastor, you are our protector, and you are our provider. You have put yourself on the hook and made yourself responsible for us. For you have redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, call out to him right now. Ask him to make himself real to you in a way that you've never known before and to put your heart at rest. church, if you know Jesus, you have to go to that rest. It is available to you. God is not keeping it from you or hiding it from you. It is available right now, but you must step into it. You may have to step away from the world to do it, but that rest is available.
some of the things that might be causing you unrest this morning is sin in your life. Sin in your relationship. Sin in your character, as we've looked at today. Is there anything that, that God pointed out to you today that really struck a chord in you when I was reading those lists of the fruit of the Spirit or the, the elders' call in Scripture? To where you know God pierced your heart and pointed that out to you. Take a moment to confess, to repent of that sin. as you have thought about and have confessed that sin in the same way that Ruth took off her clothes of mourning and put on her clothing of everyday regular life, of being bathed and washed and perfumed and put on clean garments. Church, that's what I want us to remember. I want you to now, if you are a follower of Jesus, go ahead and take those elements. And I want you to hold the, the wafer in one hand and the juice in the other, other. And I want you to think about redemption and about rest. I want you to move from a time of mourning to, to a time of gladness and joy. Because it is true that you have sinned against a holy and a righteous and an almighty God. But in His incredible said toward us, he has redeemed us by the blood of His Son. The one who lived the life that we should have lived, free of sin, and died the death that we should have died upon that cross and proved that He was God when He was buried and rose again to new life on the third day as He said He would. Church, it's in this Jesus that we can find rest even in the midst of all the turmoil of our world. We can find joy and hope because Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. He died for your sins. Don't stay there anymore depriving yourself of rest and of peace and of joy. Walk away from that sin. Confess your sin one to another today if there is something that you are dealing with that you just can't get over. That's why we have the body of Christ. Find your rest in Him. For His promise is true. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and find rest. With joy and gratefulness and thankfulness, you may now take the body that was broken on your behalf and the blood that was shed for you.